This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to RotoWire's Signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. And my co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in his co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. We're both enjoying sunny skies and great weather, uh, finally, uh, in a long stretch, AJ. I'm, I'm telling you, the last month here has been awesome, and I'm sure it's been the same in, in your neck of the woods, and that's great news. And I know you had a beautiful setting last week in cottage country. I was really envious about that. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to a, another interesting show today where we touch on uh, three three more teams. But today, quite differently from last week, AJ, Two of the teams have really some serious cap issues. Can't wait to get into that. But before we go there, I want to get your sense on uh, the current landscape and reasons for optimism in the world of sports as a whole. We got baseball looking like they finally got their act together, and they're going to have a mini season of some 50 to 60 games is what I'm hearing. Uh, Maybe you can be more specific. But it seems like finally... There is some sort of traction there to get things going. And, and uh, the NFL's got the, uh, their hopes that they can start the season on time, albeit maybe without fans. Hockey and basketball, we've talked about them, that they have their houses in order and plans are in place. But there are some issues with COVID viruses and players, even one that was named here in Toronto. Uh, and and uh, so uh, there's a lot going on, but uh, there's a sense of optimism out there, isn't there? I think so. And I, and, you know, and part of that, you know, Friday, I think was probably a, a pretty bad day in terms of optimism. I mean, you had the, the, the lightning camp had to shut down um, a couple other players here and there tested positive. Then you had the three baseball camps all had to shut down um, because of, you know, positive COVID tests. You had um, NFL players testing positive. You had uh, a golfer tested positive as well. So Friday, uh, admittedly, Friday was a, a pretty rough day as, as you know, guys um, started testing positive more. And, you know, one thing that I have found really interesting is we haven't seen anything like this over in Europe right now where, you know, the soccer leagues are, are all back. Um, you know, this past weekend was the first 
weekend for English soccer. German soccer has been back for over a month now, yeah. and we're not seeing the same level. And one of the things that I that I saw on Friday was talking about the fact that these early training camp things are not the like hub centric, you know, kind of quarantine separated um, situations that that you're seeing, you know, and talking about when when return to play actually happens. And so it was one of those where, you know, they kind of sounds like they were anticipating some of this happening once they started getting guys, you know, back in into group settings. But, you know, yesterday the NHL announced that they could go up to 12 uh, players on the ice at a time. Um, we're getting a little more clarity on some of those hub cities. And then, yeah, baseball having a, a 60 game, I think it was, uh, you know, kind of plan to return to play. So I would say after Friday, Friday was a little bit, uh, you know, pessimistic in, in my uh, outlook. But, uh, you know, the, the start of this week has me feeling better and, and brighter things ahead. Well, and uh, why? so why don't you take us into today's show, AJ, and uh, we will knock things around in terms of three more teams. I can't wait to get into them. Uh, I want to give a tip of the hat to our hockey editor, Kyle Riley, who's worked with you on these series of, of CAP compliance articles. And, uh, boy, we have a couple of interesting ones to digest today. But before that, please uh, remind our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. As, as we always do, um, if you have questions about fantasy hockey regular hockey um you know if you have questions uh, i i do help with our soccer coverage <laughs> at rotowire so if you have soccer questions i'm happy to dive into that as well for you um you know paul is obviously an avid baseball fan as well so i'm sure paul could help you with baseball questions though certainly don't ask me any of those um, <laughs> but if you have those questions of any kind we're, we're happy to interact with you as as paul mentioned you can follow me at aj shoals 24 and you can follow paul the statsman at statsman 22 now before we get into the rest of these i have some good news for paul here and our latest uh, poll term determining what the future outlook of our cap compliance series the toronto maple leafs are going to be up this week we will have that article out on thursday so we'll start with the rangers later today the maple leafs will be on thursday and then the winnipeg jets over the weekend so paul we are going to finally get to your leafs i know you're excited <laughs> about that um, and to take a look at, at what their situation is going to be uh, in terms of this week We'll start off by talking about the New York Islanders. Uh, 13 forwards, six defensemen, one goaltender under contract for next season. That'll come in just a shade over $71 million. So with, again, assuming that flat $81.5 million cap, leaves them with a little over $10 million in space, but only three spots to fill. So they don't have a, a ton of work to do here uh, in that sense. Now, in terms of restricted free agents, there are some tough choices here. You've got, obviously, Matthew Barzal, who's turned into one of the best uh, top-line centers in the league, in my opinion. Uh, Ryan Pollock and Devin to uh, Taves on the blue line there. So, look, I'll start I'll start with, uh, you know, Pollock here. I am never a fan of letting these restricted free agents just hit the open market and, and walk away. But I think that's going to be a situation that the Islanders find themselves in. You know, Pollock's got $2 million uh, in, in cap hit there. And so even if they just handed him a qualifying offer, it would match that. And so his uh, cap hit is not going to go down, that's for sure. And they've got, like I said, Devin Taves coming up. 
through the ranks and I think he uh, is ready to go in terms of you know he had 28 points this last season and I think he is warranted uh, some money here uh, obviously maybe you could get uh, Polak under contract for a little bit less if you were willing to offer him additional term and that might save them some money um, but I don't see them being able to offer him much more than, say, uh, 2.75 in, in annual average value. And even that is going to be really tight. So unfortunately, uh, I think they're going to have to either try and trade his rights away uh, or let him hit the open free agency market. And some of that is really to, to be able to get Matthew Barzal under contract. Look, this is, a, as I said, a top line center. 207 points and 234 NHL games over the last three seasons. I think the floor for him is probably the five-year, $27 million contract that Tivo Teravainen signed back in January of 2019. Um, you know, and Barzell probably would have hit the 70-point mark this year again if the league hadn't gone on hiatus. So I look at that as kind of the base floor for him. So that's really going to eat up a ton of money there. Uh, again, talking about Taves, you know, I think the fact that he's arbitration eligible is going to make uh, the contract negotiations a little bit trickier. Um, but uh, I don't see them doing more than a one-year deal with him. And kind of being like uh, the the comparison I have is the contract that the Penguins gave uh, Marcus Pedersen this this previous season. They gave him a one-year deal, really low number. Um, and it was kind of surprising to see that come in. But then a couple months later into the season, they negotiated a longer-term extension for him. And I kind of think this might be the situation that, that Taves finds himself in. Take that, that one-year deal. Yes, it's going to be a low-ball offer, but the, the organization will take care of you on the back end. And I think this is an organization you can trust to do something like that. I'm not necessarily making a similar agreement with the Buffalo Sabres after everything has come out uh, from their bloodletting, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, so, again, a one-year, one-way, about $900,000 deal that would you know give him a pay raise, and then you can take care of him later. So, uh, Paul... Uh, biggest questions for you uh, out of these three restricted free agents. Do you think you try and keep Ryan Pollock with that uh, hefty pay raise? And then is five years, $27 million really viable for Matthew Barzell, or is he going to need to get uh, you know significantly more than that? Boy, he's tw- heading into his age 24 season. There's plenty of time for him to make big bucks. If he's thinking about maybe a, a, a bridge deal, A.J., you might be able to get him for a little bit less for on a shorter term deal, and then hopefully the salary cap rises in a few years, and he can hit uh, real a real payday in in the near term. That might be a, something they can look at. I, I know you didn't mention anything about buyouts here. Uh, what do you? Th- I mean, we can talk about Pollock being a guy that they would like to keep also. But you indicated, you know, it's kind of come down to a choice between him and Taves. And Pollock is already up at $2 million. Taves coming in after a $700,000 payday. They're both 25, 26. Actually, Taves is a year older than Pollock, which I found interesting when I looked into things. I didn't realize that. Pollock is, is a proven commodity, though, as a top defensive defenseman. So you'd hate to give that up. But how much do you want to pay for a top defensive defenseman? I mean, uh, even Ron Hainsey collected three and a half million four million dollars last last couple of years as a 38 year old imagine what 
you have to pay for a, a much younger guy who has a lot of runway left in his career. So really some difficult decisions. And I wonder, AJ, if, you, if you've considered maybe the, a buyout situation with the likes of Nick Letty or Johnny Boychuk to give them some flexibility to make some moves under the cap. But I don't know how they wedge these three guys in. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking, uh, we can certainly talk about the buyout. The problem with, you know, buyouts in in most situations, I tend to not even look at them um, when they're only one year or when they're two years out. You know, they'll um, get a little bit. They would get a pretty significant chunk of savings if if they bought out, say, Nick Letty. You're looking at almost four million uh, in terms of cap savings over the next two years. But then you have two more years after that where you're taking a cap hit. Of around 2.2 million. Now, obviously, the goal would be that the salary cap would go up. So, um, I admittedly did not look into guys uh, like Letty who are who are two years remaining on their deal, just because usually it's cost prohibitive. But um, it's certainly something worth considering uh, if they wanted to go with, you know, if they wanted to go with Pulak and, and Taves and instead of a guy like Letty, it's it's certainly viable. Or as you mentioned, Johnny Boychuk as well. Um, you know, Johnny Boychuk, a little bit older uh, on the you know tail end of his career. You're looking at almost five million in cap savings this year if you bought out his contract and next. And actually, uh, the hit the the two years after that is is pretty modest. So honestly, Paul, that you may have stumbled upon a really good idea there in, in a buyout <laughs> for Johnny Boychuk if they wanted to to move to a younger uh, blue line. Yeah, so I think I think they're going to have to find a way to go that route, AJ, realistically, because like you said, Barzal needs to be paid as the superstar that's going to lead this team. But how much do you want to pay him and how early do you want to get to that big contract? If he's agreeable to a bridge deal that is is not a cheap one uh, for a guy with his talent, that might help. Uh, it's good for news for them that the guy pulling the strings in the management booth is is the best one of the best in the game in terms of Lou Lamorello and 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 so uh, I think he's got to wave his magic wand and and try to talk to Barzal and say look this is your team but you got to help us out here a little bit and and I could see Lou having that that chat with Barzal to prevent, to avoid giving him seven eight million over five years they just can't afford to do that even maybe even with the buyout unless they 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 punt on on Pollock or Taves and I don't think they want to do that because really they're centerpieces to the defense I don't think Letty and Boychuk uh they've had both uh, have faded badly in the last couple of years and uh, they both have two years left on deals that that they need to get off the book so I think I really think that's a situation that could evolve yeah Paul that's a that's a great call and and you know it's it's one of the re- reasons we like talking it through on on this show as well. You know that uh, that idea did not come up to either Kyle or I. Again, a lot of that has to do. I I know for myself, I tend to only look at buyouts for guys in the last year of their yeah. contracts. But yeah. uh, it's certainly the numbers would make it viable. Uh, in terms of unrestricted free agents here, uh, you've got a handful of veteran guys uh, that that have been around the block a, a little bit uh you know some older than others but uh the group looks like matt martin Derek brassard tom kunakel andy green and thomas grice now look we'll start with green he's making five million bucks this year and paying him any less than that uh might be an option he is 37 years of age maybe he's willing to take a pay crease but i think in order to fill uh, that spot, you're talking a pretty significant pay 
decrease. And I, I think he was always going to be a rental, regardless of whether or not the league was was forced to shut down. You know, after uh, you know you after uh, Taves, you've got a, a player like Noah Dobson, the 20 year old who's looking for more opportunities. Uh, to get into the lineup, and and there's a couple other guys coming through the ranks. So I really think, um, if anything, they might just be better suited to have Green move on in order to create additional roster spots um, for some some younger defensemen. Now, obviously, if they did a Boychuk buyout, maybe uh, and Green's willing to take maybe half, 2.5 million, uh, maybe that's something that could work. But but um, I, I just don't see it. Uh, as as an option long term for them in in terms of development for younger players and then again after paying matt barzal you're not going to have a lot of room uh for forwards either and i think that means martin uh and brassard are are both going to be looking for new places to play next season now in the case of tom kunakel uh this is a fringe guy who's going to be you know most nights probably your 13th forward maybe your 12th be kind of in and out of the lineup and I think the nice part about that is that you have consistency from a guy who's not going to break the you know the bank in terms of the cap hit he understands uh, his role and look at the end of the day the name Kunakel has been uh, etched onto the Stanley Cup twice uh, over his career so this is a player that's been in the postseason and, and understands uh, you know what that takes as well so if you get him under contract for under a million bucks i really think that that's not uh, a bad situation there and then you know talking about grice uh everything about the islanders this uh, off season whenever we get to it is going to be whether or not Ilya sorokin signs with the islanders and, and makes the jump you know you can check out rotowire we recently launched our, our rumors page um, and sorokin's been on there a number of times as far as is he coming, is he not coming, and it's pretty up in the air still. Um, if Sorokin signs that entry-level deal, then I don't really see a reason to keep Grice around. Um, you're not going to have him on the lineup instead of Sorokin, and so you would head into the season with Varlamov and Sorokin as your as your one-two here. But if you can't get Sorokin to sign, maybe you look at Grice and sign him to something similar to what they gave Yaroslav Halak in Boston, a, a one-year, $2.25 million deal. Um, they do have some guys in the minors who who I have liked at, at stretches of their career, but I think Grice gives you a little more consistency than the likes of Christopher Gibson or Jared Koru. Um, so for me, it, it's all about Sorokin and whether or not he signs, and if he doesn't, then I think maybe you consider, you know, fitting Grice in there. So, uh, Paul, what about you for this group? Is there anybody that you think needs to be, you know, kept, or or could they really pretty much walk away um, from this entire UFA group? Well, looking at the forwards, AJ, I, I my opinion differs a little bit slightly from yours. I don't know about Kuhnhackel uh, at a million bucks at age 29. If they want to get younger, that might be a situation I look away from. I definitely find it easier to look away from the other two that you mentioned, and I agree with you on the calls on Matt Martin and Derek Broussard. Matt Martin is a, a kind of a dying breed in hockey, the, the the gunslinger who's primarily a scrapper and and a very physical force, one of the top components of, of the fourth line that was really such a key part of the Islanders for the last few years uh, there. Uh, 
in terms of changing momentum. They, they had a real good energy about these guys, but 2.5 million, that's a lot of money to play, pay a fourth liner. And uh, if you cut that in half, uh, that might still even be high for him. And Broussard has basically failed the audition in, on the island. And so I can't really make a case for him, AJ, in terms of keeping him in the mix here. Uh, I'd, I'd walk away from that deal as well and look to get younger. And uh, Kuhnhackel, like I said, if, if you can get him on a maybe a $900,000. I wouldn't even want to pay him more than a million for this guy. Uh, he had a marginal year, about 40 games played, about 10 points. A bottom six guy, no question. I mean, I like the fact that he's got the two Stanley Cup rings, can show them off in the dressing room to motivate his teammates, I suppose. But uh, maybe there's a better way to spend that money, I, I, I'm thinking. And Andy Green at $5 million, that's his biggest payday. Uh, he's not going to come anywhere near that in a subsequent deal. And he has to realize that if he wants to extend his career, it's going to have to be something like what uh, Jason Spezza did in Toronto and take a minimum to, to stick around and extend the career. That's, that's I think, where Green should be focused. He's made the big money. If he, It's just a vendor. If he wants to keep playing, that's what he has to do to help this club or any other club that he would move to, in my opinion. And then in the Nets, you've raised the interesting uh, issue with Sorokin. That's been a situation that's been on the back burner for a while on the island and, and could solve a bit of their cap cap crisis because Grice at age 34 uh, has proven to be a very good backup. He's challenged Semyon Varlamov very well. When Varlamov's been unsteady, he's filled in admirably, but uh, that's a lot of money to pay a backup, AJ. And I, I think he's another guy that would be hard-pressed to justify any kind of an increase there. So uh, unless they can get uh, Sorokin or maybe Chris Gibson from the minors to, to step up, uh, then then uh, you have to look at the goaltending situation a different way. Yeah, and so talking about the, the net mining, there aren't any minor league free agents here who appeared uh, in an NHL game this season that, that we haven't talked about here. So I really uh, kind of just focused on that, that net mining situation. They've got three of their four minor league guys are not going to be under contract next season. You've got uh, Linus Soderstrom, who's an RFA, and then the aforementioned Coro and Gibson are both going to be UFAs. So, uh, again, a lot depends on Sorokin uh, and whether or not he signs and how they decide to approach those other uh, couple of guys and, and what they want to do there in terms of the, the long-term net mining. Um, finally, you know, jumping into to final thoughts on this club, uh, Paul, you know, I use the cap-friendly armchair GM, uh, you know, thing to, to – build out these teams and decide what everything looks like. And in order to make their numbers work, um, again, kind of forgetting about that, uh, that idea of, of the buyout there. I, uh, you know, I thought maybe trading Pollock uh, would, would be an option in order to let somebody else pay him. And then I had to only carry 22 players on the roster. And I also buried Scott Mayfield's contract in the minors, which meant he cost uh, you know, three hundred seventy-five thousand against the cap instead of a full one point four five million, um, and then obviously signing Sorokin to an entry-level deal uh, would save them some money um, for Grice. But I, I do think, uh, you know, their best bet is to consider the buyout options uh, for one of those defenders. 
Paul, did you have any final thoughts on, on this Islanders club? Well, I think I unearthed the solution, and I'm going to stick with it and start there. Boychuk and Letty, there's no case for keeping both of them the way Letty's declined is, is a real concern. Uh, he's heading into his age 30 year. I mean, a couple of years ago, this guy was a key part of the defense, but he's taken such a nosedive that, that I don't have any faith in him, at the, and particularly at that salary. And Johnny Boychuk is, is on his last legs, AJ. This guy's played a game the game physically for a long time and uh, at age 36 that's probably caught up to him and uh, the last two years on the deal at six million bucks they've got to find a better way to spend that money so if, if even if they have to pay a penalty beyond the life of this contract of a couple of million a year they need the flexibility that those buyouts would provide and so I'm going to stick with that as the centerpiece of my plan and then looking at the goaltending situation and finding a way to save uh, on the three plus million for Thomas Grice in the head, heading into his age 35 season that's part B of my my possible solution to give these guys a little bit of flexibility and uh, pivoting away from the free agents uh, uh, forwards is is the third piece, AJ. So uh, I'm counting on them to have an influx of younger players and uh, allow for the maturation of their team leader, Matthew Barzal, in a happier circumstance with more money in his pocket is, is no small part of this process as well. All righty, then we'll dive into the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Uh, heading into next season, they've got 14 forwards, five defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract coming in at $78.5 million. Uh, with our flat cap, you're looking at about $2.9, almost $3 million in cap space, and only two spots to fill under the 23-man roster. So not a lot of work uh, for this team to, to undertake here. Uh, you start with the restricted free agents. You're looking at uh, Jacob De La Rose and Vince Dunn. You know, for for my money, De La, De La Rose has 229 games of NHL experience, but that's been primarily with a bad Canadians team and an even worse Detroit Red Wings teams that could afford to give him opportunities, and he really did not, uh, you know, take hold uh, when those were were presented to him with a team. Uh, like the Blues, this is a guy that I envision is going to most nights be your 13th or even 14th forward on your depth chart. So I don't see them paying him much more than his qualifying offer, which will come in at a one-year $997,500 two-way contract. I think your one way to maybe save a little bit of money here is you offer him a one-way deal. I don't foresee him having to spend time in the minors anyway. And then maybe he's willing to take a little bit less in terms of, of AAV here. Uh, for Dunn, he's played uh, almost as many games as Boston's Brandon Carlo, but offers a significantly higher upside in, in terms of offensive production, which to me means that Carlo's two-year $5.7 million deal will essentially serve as the floor uh, for this this contract. I think they're going to end up paying closer to $3 million uh, a year for for his uh, his services and i would expect it to be in the range of two to three years that kind of retains uh, that rfa status at the end of it uh you know i think they're going to need uh to replace a defenseman on the on the blue line we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the ufa section but paul strictly with these guys uh do you think de la rose is worth more than that and do you think dunn 
is a, a viable uh, option at about $3 million, or do you think he could even get a little bit more than that? I think they've got to try and hammer that down as much as they can, but Dunn looks to be a key part of this defense. He's the youngest guy of that core. When I look at it on the cap-friendly website, the next youngest player is a Colton Pareko heading into his age 28 year. That's four years uh, more than Dunn on the, uh, in terms of the, of the birthday celebrations and, and uh, the track ahead of them. So... Uh, hammering that down a little bit below the three if they if possible de la rose is is just a filler so I, i'm not as concerned about him aj uh, dunn is the real key issue here for me de la rose you mentioned he's bounced around a couple of different places not really fit in as anything more than a fourth line player and uh, you know those those are pieces that are interchangeable around the league so not as critical a component Von, dunn is really the key issue I, I can't wait to get through the rest of the discussion because i have a couple other suggestions uh, to to deal with the the cap situation here well we get into the unrestricted free agents and you're looking at troy brower uh, Jay Bomeister, and then some other guy named Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> um, I think, you know, unfortunately, um, I think we've probably seen the last of, of Jay Bomeister in, in an NHL game due uh, to the, the heart issue that he had. I think even if he's medically cleared, this definitely will not uh, warrant a return to St. Louis. There's just not enough cap space here. And I think uh, the team really needs to give Dunn the opportunity to take on uh, more uh, in terms of ice time and, and stuff like that and, and take on a bigger role. Um, they have some other guys, come, you know, who are going to push for more opportunities coming up from the minors. You know, they've got Jake Dotchin, Mitch Renke, Derek Pouliot, um, you know, Jake Wallman as well. So I just, even if he's medically cleared and, and able to play, I just don't see how Bo Meester, uh fits in here. And the same is going to happen for guys uh, like Troy Brower, he he joined the team midseason on a professional tryout um, because they were really banged up and, and was able to sign a contract. But you've got Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Sammy Sammy Blay, all looking for more ice time and, and better de- you know opportunities to develop. So I think uh, Brower is gone as well. Then we get uh, to to the big one here for for the Blues, and that's Alex Petrangelo. Uh, I view it looking at their cap. I think there's no chance that they can get him under contract next season. His offensive talents will have him uh, no doubt pointing towards the seven-year, $56 million deal the Rangers gave Jacob Truba, and that's as the floor. I think uh, figuring out a way to get enough cap space for Petrangelo to make north of $8 million a year uh, is simply going to involve moving too many pieces around. Um, I, I have some ideas on how to do that that I that I can touch on in, in final thoughts here, but I think unfortunately it's just going to not going to work out. I think your best bet is to hope uh, he helps them win another cup this season, and then when he comes back next year on another team, you applaud him in a standing ovation during his tribute video. Uh, when he makes his first return to the Enterprise Center, so that's how I see it working out, Paul. Uh, I won't, I won't, uh, unless you want to. I won't ask you about Brower or Bomi. So I think those are pretty straightforward yeah. situations. Petrangelo, can you make it work? I, I just don't see how it happens. Not with the current setup, AJ, and it's again going to lead me to my thought, and maybe you summarize this in final thoughts. But I want to give you some time to think about this. I'm looking at another buyout situation of two players at the forward ranks to make possibly make room they 
but before we go there, I got to look at just Justin Falk's contract and mention they signed him to an extension immediately upon acquiring him and that will pay him $6.5 million going forward. And boy, he did, he looked anything like a capable top four defenseman. Uh, I mean, early on in his career, power play specialist, big shot, good puck mover, showed very well in his in the early part of his career, but really had a tough time filling in with the Blues. And that's, got, that's a head-scratching deal for me. And that's really the one that has kind of greased the rails for Pietrangelo going out the door. Uh, as you as you project but i wonder how the situation changes if they incorporate a buyout or two here aj one with alex steen and another with tyler bozak that could free uh, uh, that could take uh, both those contracts off the books and i suspect that that the that they'd have a little more flexibility but again they'd be paying for uh, some time into the future, a residual amount. But I wonder if that's enough flexibility to entertain possibly getting to the $8 million that they're going to need to get Petrangelo in the mix. I wonder what you think about that possibility, if they could even think about going that route, or are they going to have to trade other pieces to make room for for that possibility? Well, I think you're going to have to look more at, at trading to get them completely off the books. Doing a quick... Uh, number crunch here using uh, the tools from our friends over at Cap Friendly who are, are great with this. Um, you're looking at if you bought out both contracts, that's going to save you about $5 million, um, which is certainly nothing to, to shake your shake your head at. They could certainly make it work. The downside is next year, that's about $2.5 million in right. dead cap space uh, for the following season for 21-22, which mm-hmm is you know a solid uh you know middle of the lineup player a couple of depth guys um so that's a pretty hefty price tag so i think overall you're maybe better off looking um you know for a full a full trade in in some suggestions here uh i will gloss over the minor league guys you've got austin poganski jake wallman and Derek pouliot they played a combined four nhl games uh, this season, none of those guys will get anything more than their qualifying offer. I do think they all could be battling for for spots on the 23-man roster during training camp in in fall or, or winter, whenever we get to that. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't envision uh, any of those guys uh, really uh, doing much there in, in terms of of contracts. Uh, to those kind of suggestions, I think uh, once you get done signed. Uh, I think the biggest and easiest way to make some some room here would be to trade Jake Allen in that four point you know four point three five million dollar cap. Uh, the one team I suggested that could make that work would be the San Jose Sharks. Um, they've had some troubles in terms of their net mining duo, and I certainly think they would welcome Jake Allen uh, with open arms to compete there. Additionally, Allen, uh, you know would probably like that as a as an opportunity to be a number one there i do think if if you move jake allen uh, off the books you can sign done to about three million dollars a year and it leaves you a little bit of cap space uh 2.7 million uh in, in terms of of what would be left in in this scenario and then if you could get somebody to take tyler bozak's full five million dollars um then I think you could offer Petrangelo about $7.7 million. Uh, It's still pretty tough there to make it work. 
Um, and I think the organization knew that when they didn't trade Petrangelo at the trade deadline this last season. They, I think they knew that the numbers weren't going to be there, um, but they opted to make another run at the Stanley Cup, and I, they certainly have uh, a great opportunity to do so. So for me, even if you're offloading Bozak and Jake Allen uh, in terms of, of trades, Dunn is just going to take up too much money, I think, to really have a good chance to sign Petrangelo to, to a long-term deal that he, uh, I think, will be able to command on the open market. And even with the depressed values that, that we're talking about, you know, maybe if he signed a one-year deal and was willing to come back just because he enjoys being in St. Louis and thinks they could win, you know, a Stanley Cup, um, maybe. But I, I just don't see it overall. Paul, uh, any final thoughts from you on, on these St. Louis Blues? Well, th- we're going to see a number of teams be creative under the cap, and St. Louis might be at the head of the class with the next team that we're going to discuss, AJ. But I think uh, they're going to look at every possibility to keep their captain in 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 tow if at all possible and that means exploring the buyout of one player maybe trading the other two that you mentioned so look for what happens to steen and and bozak and you mentioned jake allen quite rightly as maybe the most tradable commodity he had an outstanding year last year and filled in very capably uh, when jordan bennington was uh, struggling or or out of the lineup uh, jake allen had a great great year as a backup goalie and and i mean you can't justify a backup at 4.35 million but if he goes somewhere else he could compete for the number one job and that's the selling job that the blues management has to do with other clubs to say this guy's only heading into his age 30 season has a few good years left in him and has been a capable player in this league for a long while and uh, so that could be the most tradable of the three players but i think you got to see moves on the other two guys to give them any kind of a shot at Pietrangelo like you we explored with the the cap relief of the buyout and and trading away some of these uh deals if possible that's that's what they have to do and they got a rule of the day that they made the the Justin Falk signing that (laughs) basically put this put them into that jackpot don't they yeah absolutely and you know this will be one team that that no doubt if if the idea for a free one-player buyout is on the table uh this will no doubt be an organization that will be lobbying for that to be uh included as as a rule for for next off season because they could certainly use it um we'll head into you know we've talked already about some tough cap situations but i think we're going to get into the toughest of the three yet in the tampa bay lightning They've got 10 forwards, three defensemen, two goaltenders under contract for next season. So you would think, you know, with only 15 players signed for next season, they'd have uh, some cap space here, but uh, they don't. (laughs) Uh, That all comes in at $76 million, so only $5.3 million in space for eight guys to get under contract here, and that's going to be really tight. A pretty big uh, restricted free agent group here. Um, in Mitchell Stevens, Anthony Sorelli, Carter Verheg, uh, Mikhail Sergachev, and Eric Cernat. Um, starting with Sorelli, this is a guy that steadily increased his point total over the course of his you know, three NHL seasons, has started to take on some power play role as well. And, uh, you know, at times uh, he's anchored their top line with Steven Stamkos and, and Nikita uh, Kucherov. You know, Samkos plays some wing every once in a while. I think as far as comparables, I, I like to always try and, as best I can, find some comparable contracts that, that 
to try and really put this into terms of, of what players and agents are going to be looking at. And I think Sorelli finds himself on a similar track as Jean-Gabriel Pajot back when he signed his three-year $9.3 million deal back in July of 2017. I think, you know, production levels at that, they were about the same age. They produced at the same level. Um, you know, obviously, Pajot, you're looking a few years ago. And I think they're going to be hard-pressed to try and convince Sorelli to take anything less than $3 million a year. And so there's uh, more than half of your remaining cap space right off the top. I think that means that guys like Steffens, Verhag, and Cernak uh, shouldn't really expect more than their qualifying offer, which could be tough to stomach for a player like Cernak. You know, he played 67 games this season, averaged almost 19 minutes a game in terms of ice time, but the numbers just aren't there. Um, And this is one of those CBA things that the team owns their rights and, and can certainly um you know just give them that qualifying offer and and if they don't want to sign it then they got to look at you know going overseas or or something else there's not a lot of uh of room there for for a lot of these guys and then we come to Mikhail Sergachev uh this is you know a player who's turned into an offensive powerhouse for them and will as i said in the article will be the bane of of Habs fans for years to come after that unfortunate trade uh, there, you know, I think if they do some roster shuffling, I think they could maybe offer him a one-year deal around two million dollars and, and promise to pay him down the road. Um, you know, I think if he's willing to do it, um, one thing that's going to come to the table is potentially an offer sheet. You know, we see a lot of guys aren't willing to to agree to those terms and and to do that. You know, last year was the first time we had seen an offer sheet in, in several seasons. But if if he's willing if his camp is willing to to go down that road, a team could offer him up to four million dollars uh, in in annual value and they would only have to give back a second round pick. Uh, for his uh, you know quality, I really I would be happy if my team uh, wanted to offer a second round pick for Mikhail Sergachev by by getting him on an offer sheet. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of clubs that would really, uh, you know, bulk at that situation. So, Paul, I guess that's my biggest question from this group is, do you think Mikhail Sergachev signs an offer sheet somewhere and ends up playing elsewhere uh, next season? Well, I'll begin there, AJ, and I, I think that it's ripe for, for that kind of a situation. But there's been kind of an understated agreement around the league that teams won't poach other teams' players in this manner i mean maybe maybe the montreal management team broke the ice last year with their attempt and and uh, that door gets blown open with a situation like circuitchev because as you mentioned this guy's a youngster heading into his age 22 season and shown me more than enough to know that he's going to be an absolute star in this league for an awfully long time and if you can snap him up for a second round pick you do that eight days a week so that's the no-brainer of all on this list uh, Eric Zernak certainly deserves a bit of a mention for what he's accomplished last season uh, on the tail end of his entry-level deal at six, that expires at uh, just a shade under 700 grand. He's been a guy who, who kind of fills into that third pairing role and did it admirably. He proved to be a bit of a sh- shutdown type that, that did very well last year in that role. And the, the coveted right shooting defenseman 
also an asset in his favor. It seems like a lot of teams are looking for that that kind of profile on the back end as as a need, and and that's filled here when you consider even their third pairing guy at that low, low level of salary uh, did did such a capable job. So uh, I think it's a key that they sign him. Uh, real challenge to get Sergachev, as you mentioned. And then among the forwards, I think Sorelli is another headache for them because he's a guy who, as a defensive center, was in the 45-point 40 range last season in a, in a year that he lost some game time as well. So you could project him as a 50-point guy at age 22. That's outstanding for a guy who was effectively the third-line center here, a real asset uh, in terms of the depth chart that gives this team uh, an advantage every night against most opponents that strength down the middle is so important and when you can get a third guy and you're paying him 728 grand to do what this guy did that's a heck of an advantage and it, it evaporates when you consider he needs to be paid now too so to offset that again do you consider and aj i'm going to throw this out at you i'm going to give you some time to look at one or one or two players here but i'm looking at alex killorn is age, age 31 year coming up he's got 4.45 million on the books for the next three years and then tyler johnson is a name that we've heard that they're trying to think about ways to maybe trade him and the fact that he has four more years of of uh, a five million dollar cap hit i don't think that's going to either of those situations going to lend themselves to much of a, a savings advantage over uh, the remaining term that would exist in, in a buyout for either of those guys. I'm thinking they try to trade Johnson, though, as maybe a, a priority to give them some flexibility to deal with the issues that they have that we've uncovered just on the RFA section of this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both those guys are, are really... Uh the the amount of term that they have left on their deals, I I, I really think that that a buyout is is not really an option no, for them. No, it's not. No. Um, so you know, I th- I think you're looking at 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 trade uh, trades for that. Um, I've identified you know just to to talk, we'll just talk about it now. I've identified Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, or Andre Pilat as as really the three guys. Um, that would most likely uh, be be movable pieces, and, and part of the reason I identify those three is they're all their like five million dollar range. Johnson's at five, Gord uh, at five point one six, five point two effectively, and then Pilat at five point three. Um, you know, so I, I think it's going to be one of those three guys for sure um, that that we're gonna gonna see moving on. Speaking of guys that are going to be moving on. Uh, their unrestricted free agent group is is pretty big. Um, you've got Patrick Maroon, Kevin Shattenkirk, Zach Bogosian, Luke Shen, Jan Ruta, a, hand, uh, a raft of defensemen here, and then Mike Condon as well. The easiest way to do this, and if you read the, the article on here, Kyle pretty much did with about two sentences here, uh, <laughs> was that uh, none of these guys are going to be back. There's just not the cap space to make it work. Uh, I went a little bit more... Uh, in depth here in, in talking about that obviously Condon was was buried in the minors uh, for this season uh, there was never any point at, you know which he was going to be uh, retained by the club even if they had a, a lot of money to to throw around here you know Bogosian was brought in via trade when there they had some blue line injuries so he was always going to be a rental Shattenkirk, uh, you know, for him, he's really kind of revived his career uh, in Tampa. The the move to New York was was not great for him, um, but he's kind of found his way back in Tampa. And 
I think he's not going to want to continue playing for a discount. Look, when he signed with Tampa, it was a, a cheap deal compared to what he has made over the course of his career. Now, I understand he's getting a little bit older, but you're talking about a guy that's still only uh, 31 years of age. I don't expect him to get anywhere near what the Rangers paid him. They were giving him about six, uh, 6.6 a year uh, over four years, but I do think he would certainly want to get uh, closer to the money he made while with St. Louis, which was 4.25, and that's just not going to work here. I, I think he's shown that he's you know back and potentially worth that much, and so I expect him to hit the open market and, and stop playing for for a discount here and get one more significant pay you know pay raise uh, you know in his career. You've got a guy uh, like Shen who's you know kind of a, a solid depth. Uh, you know, guy that you'd maybe want to keep around. You know, I could see maybe you look at around eight hundred fifty thousand in terms of keeping him, but you've got some youngsters like uh, you know Cal Foot um, that could also snag some, some spots here. So um, you know, Ruta and Shen are about the same player. Ruta, I think, would cost more than Shen. And then, you know, Patrick Maroon, maybe maybe you can figure it out. He got a Stanley Cup last year uh, with St. Louis, so maybe he's willing to stay with Tampa for around 900000 a year. Uh, but if he wants more money, it's, it's certainly not going to be here. Uh, Paul, is, is there a case that you could make for any of these guys to be, be kept around, or, or do you see this as, as a list of departing players? Well, let me begin with Patrick Maroon. He made his decision to leave his hometown team after, after winning a Stanley Cup, kind of committing to Tampa for last season, thinking that he could uh, go back-to-back. And, he, you know, the jury's out on that. They're still one of the favorites going forward. If he likes the situation there, I could see him re-upping for a similar deal next year that's team-friendly. And, and again, I'll use Spezza as a comparable this is a guy at the tail end of his career uh, heading into his age 33 season maybe a little bit younger than Spezza but still the idea is the same that he lo- knows he's going to be a bottom six player on a very deep team at least offensively this figures to be a deep team still but if uh, as you mentioned though even on, on reflection you mentioned the three big dollar guys that are up front maybe he moves up in class uh, as a in a in possibly a, a hybrid top six bottom six kind of guy that moves throughout the roster but i still don't think you can justify paying him much more than he's getting now shattenkirk i think they got to move on from him just because uh, they have options in the minors that are going to be called upon calfoot you mentioned is one i think luke witkowski is another one who had, had a cup of coffee with a big club and he has some nhl experience and one more year on on his deal at an affordable seven hundred thousand dollars is another guy you can expect into the mix and maybe they bring up another kid oh Oleg Sosunov, he's only tw- heading into his age 23 season and signed for uh, a team-friendly $721,600 next season. So there's three names that can fill in some holes on the back end if they pivot from the likes of Shattenkirk, Bogosian, and Luke Shen. Uh, might be the only guy that I could consider bringing back again to fill in as a depth, maybe third pairing or insurance uh, guy in the press box. Uh, that's the role I see for him going forward. Well, speaking of some of those minor leaguers, uh, we have a handful of guys that did get into an NHL game for the the Lightning this year. You're looking at Alexander Volkov, Matthew Joseph, Gemmel Smith, Corey Conacher, and Cameron Gauntz. Now, the three RFAs here in Volkov, Joseph, and Smith, 
I think they're going to be handed their qualifying offers, but I think all three of them uh, should be able to compete. Uh, you know, four spots on the 23-man roster during during a training camp here, and I would expect potentially you'll see all three of those guys join. Uh, the Lightning's Phase 3 training camp, uh, if that does in fact kick off uh, July 10th here. I think Joseph uh, is probably the highest uh, in terms of long-term upside of those three to potentially impact the roster down down the road. In terms of Connoisseur and Gons, who are, you know, they're 30, 30-year-old veterans. Um, they're the kind of player that you want around in AHL Syracuse. They're the kind of guy you want available for a call-up uh, from time to time if, if you have injuries pop up. So I certainly think uh, they're worth keeping around at, at, on two-way deals, but I don't foresee a situation in which the team uh, will have the cap space to be able to afford them one-way contracts uh, and guarantee them NHL roster spots. So, Paul, any more uh, that you want to talk about in terms of the minor league guys, or should we dive into some final thoughts here on the Lightning? Well, I would just add the name, one more name of Patrick Seeloff. This is another guy in their minor league system who has been uh, a, a fringe guy in terms of NHL participation with stops in Calgary and Ottawa, where he has had a cup of coffee in the NHL. Uh, the only other name that, that maybe was missing from your rundown that I might add to the mix. They're going to look at getting as many of these guys for as little as they can to offset the big contracts that already dot the rest of this roster. So it's quite a mix and match exercise, and uh, it'll all work out if uh, they can move one or two of the big ticket guys that you highlighted. That's the kind of thing that will start the dominoes falling here and things falling into place eventually. Well, yeah, we'll dive right into that in terms of the the final thoughts here. And, you know, if you look at, uh, if you check out the article, and, and you should check out all three of these articles over on Rotowire. Um, you know, the deals that I put together for Sorelli and Sergeyev already are putting the Lightning $4.6 million over the cap, which is why I think it's going to be one of those three, you know, $5 million guys that are going to be traded. And again, that you're looking at Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, or Andre Palat. Um, for me, I, I felt like Johnson would be the, the best option here. Yes, he's the, the smallest cap hit of those three guys, um, but it's enough to get the job done for, for your RFAs. Uh, he is coming off a down year with just 31 points. That's the lowest point total of his eight-year career. Um, but he does have, over the course of his career, you know, back-to-back 20-goal seasons. So obviously that'll be something that the Lightning are pointing to when, when trying to offload him. I also think the fact that he's not really a top-six player in Tampa doesn't mean he can't be a top-six player somewhere else. And I certainly think he's still capable of doing that and I think falling out of that role could be part of the reason that we saw his point total really drop. I think if he got the ice time as, as a second-line player in, in another city, you could see that number um, jump up. So for my money, it was Tyler Johnson. Uh, Kyle, on the other hand, uh, he said that I, you know he felt like Andre Palat was the one that's going to have to go um, mostly because Palat's going to have the highest trade value. Uh, you know, uh, if you, again, if you check out the article, Kyle, Kyle thought Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord uh, were going to be too hard for Tampa Bay to move and that Palat would be the easiest one for them to offload. And, and certainly I think that's an option for them as well. Um, Paul, what do, what do you say about these three guys? Who do you think is the one most likely that we'll see the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, ship away at you know as trade bait? Well, just because the guy has done it uh, with with 
the big point totals before. I look at Tyler Johnson too, and and I think if if teams were watching what happened with with the acquisition of Tyler Toffoli in Vancouver, they see the possibilities and say, you know, this guy goes from one situation to a better one personally if he goes to another team and can play a top six role and maybe rediscover that scoring talent boy you might have something there in terms of a, an addition somewhere else and and uh, you will get him on the cheap here Tampa's going to need to off so offload one of these deals and I don't think it would take much more than a than a second third rounder to get it done or maybe some combination of a second rounder this year a third rounder next year something like that to move to tyler johnson onto your roster and i mean it's a five million dollar cap hit for the next four years but that's a top six forward that you're getting in my opinion who would go from being kind of a second third line guy in tampa to definitely a top six guy on most other nhl teams so that's the scenario that i envision and you can replace that name with killorn or gourd as other possibilities too if if teams would rather have those pieces instead of tyler johnson but the the toffoli experiment with that vancouver pulled off last year is really the blueprint for for whatever path they take here well that pretty much rounds up uh this week uh you know as i said uh heading in to next week we're going to look at uh the rangers the maple leafs and then the jets and i think the plan after that because we'll be done with the Central and Atlantic Division. So I think after that, we'll do one week. Uh, we'll do the Metropolitan, and then the other week, we'll do the Pacific. I'll open it up in terms of a poll question as far as which we want to get to first. Um, but I think that's how we'll round out uh, this series. So only a couple more weeks here left, and we will have knocked out all 31 teams and, and really taken a deep dive here. And it's been a, a fantastic exercise, at least for me. Hopefully uh, you, the listener, are enjoying it as much as we have. Well, what it points out to me, AJ, is that we went from one extreme to the other last week and this week. We had teams last week that had a lot of cap space to spend, but I don't know about how willing they are going to be to spend it. If there was one or two teams that that would be willing to spend it, those teams should be talking to the ones that we talked about this week who are in such a cap crunch that they got to look for help elsewhere and almost dump some some top six type players uh, that that the other teams could could acquire so it really presents an, a unique landscape this off season, if and when the off season ever starts uh, <laughs> aj that's another story but it's just going to make make uh, watching the wires for transactions a lot more fun than that's been in the last couple of years for me i think that we're going to see some big names moving around and some some surprising decisions that might be associated with that but uh, for now we're going to switch uh, over to our continuing series of redrafts of prior years drafts and aj you get the first pick as we redo the 2006 NHL draft? Well, I, I don't know if this will be a surprise or not. Um, and, and you can let me know, Paul. Um, but I, I don't think it'll be a huge surprise. For my first pick in this group, I'm going to go with Madison, Wisconsin native, uh, Stanley Cup champion, two-time Stanley Cup champion, <laughs> Phil the Thrill Kessel. Uh, you know, he's played uh, more games than anybody else in this class, uh, 1,066. He's the only player to top uh, 1,000 games so far in his career from this class. He's got the highest goal total at 371. Does come in second at points behind Nicholas Backstrom. Um, but for me, a player of his uh, sniping caliber power play expertise 
And let's be honest, former Penguin, uh, I wasn't going to pass up taking him number one overall. <laughs> well, I kind of thought that's the way you were going to go because the alternative, I think, comes down to three other centers in the top four, the way I see it, and then a left winger of some note. So I'm going to go to the top of the board in terms of the top point getter in this class, and I'm going to snag my uh, number one setter in Nicholas Backstrom, who remains one of the top playmakers in the league and uh, Oh, Alex Ovechkin's caddy for the most part of his career. That's helped in no small way, but make no mistake, this guy's a, a star in his own right. So happy to get him. He was picked uh, fourth overall in the draft, uh, just ahead of Phil Kessel in real life, and he goes just after Kessel in our redraft. Well, for me, then, I will go to the player who was taken third overall, and let's be perfectly honest, probably should have gone second overall. Um, to Pittsburgh, but instead fell to number three for Chicago, and that's Jonathan Taves. He's the only other player in this class with over 300 goals at 345. Uh, so I will take that goal-scoring tandem right off the top in, in terms of Taves and Phil Kessel. And I do want to make one quick point. Um, these are two players at the top of the class who both played college hockey uh, here uh, in you know the NCAA and so uh, a strong argument for the, the college game, that's for sure. And I'm going to go with a guy who is tied with Jonathan Taves in scoring out of this class, but played 54 games less than Taves' career to date. And that's a guy who was picked 22nd overall by the Philadelphia Flyers. Of course, I'm speaking of Claude Giroux, who is spending some time on the wing in the last couple of years. But for the most part, of it, he's been a pretty top scoring center uh, pretty top-notch scoring center in the first uh, seven or eight years of his career in, in philadelphia well i'm gonna hate myself for making this next pick <laughs> uh, but I, I you can't pass up on him on his on ice production is just too good i'm gonna take brad marchand went in the third round 71st overall to boston he's the next highest player on our, our point total list here uh 290 goals so just a few more to get to that 300 mark uh, and, and really uh, a great player uh, in terms of production for the Boston Bruins. I could do without the on-ice antics, but, uh, you know, uh, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> and, A.J., there's five goalies from this class that you can throw a blanket over all of them and almost pick any one of them, but I'm going to dive into that end of the pool, and I'm going to snag a guy that uh, his wife sat behind me for four years in, in the Air Canada Centre, and you know I have an affinity for uh, this guy who was a solid soldier in Toronto. James Reimer is going to be my pick out of this class. Statistically, the best win percentage, the most shutouts, and uh, probably the nicest guy out of that mix, so I'm happy to get him as my goalie on this team. Yeah, I certainly agree, Paul, and, and it's one reason that I wasn't going to jump at, at a goaltender because I, I do think they're, um, you know, uh, six of one, half dozen of the other in, in this group right now. So I'll stick uh, at, at the forwards. The the D selection here is pretty thin, at, um, so kind of stack up forwards. And I will take the guy who went second overall to Pittsburgh. You know, I, I was, you know, uh, joking a little bit, but certainly I think Taves should have been the second overall pick here. But Jordan Stahl has had a fantastic career as well. 961 games uh, under his belt here. That's, you know, second in this class to Phil Kessel. He is a Stanley Cup champion as well from his time with the Penguins. So Jordan Stahl to anchor my second line. And uh, I'm going to start 
plucking the defenseman off this list and take the guy that was the top scorer and the first overall draft pick in this class, Eric Johnson, who started out as a a top scoring defenseman in the early part of his career, but has morphed into more of a defensive specialist. But I can't uh, can't look away from 303 points and 776 uh, games played. So I get the most productive guy from this class to anchor my blue line. Well, I, just to avoid getting left behind here, because there is a pretty significant drop off in my opinion. I'll take really the the next best guy here, uh, and that's Jeff Petrie. I uh, was selected 40, uh, 45th overall in the second round uh, by Edmonton. Uh, does have 253 points, and so I will take him uh, as my first blue liner off the board. And uh, that means that I should probably go back to the forward ranks, and uh, I'll pick a guy who's been maligned the last couple of seasons, but I'll I'll uh, be happy to play on his, his uh, center for his wing myself because I know that Milan Lucic would protect me uh, as he does all of his mates, and uh, I'll grab him with my fifth-round pick, A.J. Well, I certainly couldn't have both Lucic and Brad Marchant uh, on the same team. Uh, that would be a, a little bit too much. So uh, I was probably going to avoid Lucic here uh, in this group. Uh, you know, I, I think I will go, you know, I'd have to, you know, move him to the wing, uh, quote unquote here. But I think Brian Little uh, is another player who's a top six caliber guy, was selected 12th over round to the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, always nice to get a mention of them uh, into the show. Uh, does have, you know, 521 points in, in 843 games and really has been a solid player uh, and, and a, you know, kind of second to third line role with, uh, with the Jets. And uh, in, in keeping with the, the toughness quotient that I like on my team and a, a team leader in his own right, I look at a guy who's now toiling for the Columbus Blue Jackets, with, was picked by the Ottawa Senators and has great bloodlines. Uh, when you think of the last name Felino, you go back a generation and uh, to Mike Felino and his outstanding career. Nick Felino's carved out a pretty nice one in his own right, 466 points, 908 games, and uh, the leadership uh, roles on, on my, role on my team is going to be shared by him and Lucic and uh, both have been capable scorers at times although Lucic certainly founding, finding himself in, in a bad way in the last couple of years but I'm looking at the overall body of work here and feel good about getting both guys well I'm gonna have to kind of scrape uh, you know the the you know defensive options uh, as I said really dropped off after after Petri in, in my opinion and so I'm gonna go with the guy that I think still has the most to give uh, in terms of production and could see himself climb this list a little bit. He's not going to shoot up it, but but could jump up. Uh, and that's Corbinian Holzer, selected uh, by your Maple Leafs in the fourth round of the draft and, and hasn't played a ton of NHL games, just 206. Um, but again, this D group is, is a little thin here, and he does still, I think, offer you know some upside here and could work his way up the list a little bit higher. Yeah, I I know what you mean when you think about some of the names here on this list, but I'm going to go with a guy who was third most productive defenseman in this class and drafted sixth round, 160th overall by the New York Islanders. Andrew McDonald has compiled 161 points in 586 games played, so strictly on the production that I've seen out of him gives him the nod as my next pick uh, at this point. 
Well, I'll just keep going uh, with, you know, centers that I can convert to, to the wings here. And I, for me, at this point, I'm, I'm between two guys here, and that's Derek Broussard and Artem Anisimov. I, I think I'm going to land on Anisimov here. Um, went in the second round to the, to the New York Rangers, uh, has, you know, 367 points. And, you know, I've, some of his career was stuck uh, in Ottawa. So it's hard to really evaluate a, a guy or at least the last year he was stuck in Ottawa. And I, I think he can really continue to be, you know, a 40-point producer that he was in, in uh, Chicago. Uh, his numbers in Columbus weren't that great either. But but overall, I think he's probably just a shade better uh, at, at this point than, than Derek Broussard. And AJ, you know, we're getting in, into the 8th and ninth and 10th rounds here, and you can see that the talent level to me has not equated to some of the other drafts that we've seen uh, certainly the profile of some of these players that are still remaining uh, and the point holds that they scored is the only reason why you, I'm going to look at some of these guys but Kyle Okpozo is an example he was picked seventh overall in this in this class and he is the ninth highest scoring player but what has he done in the last couple of years not a whole heck of a lot but again I'm looking at the whole body of work and I'm thinking he is the best of the rest on my list. Well, I am going to go with, with my netminder uh, at this point. Um, I'll go with a guy, uh, you know, the Washington Capitals actually drafted two netminders uh, in this, this class, uh, one of which went uh, in the first round, and that's Simeon Varlamov has 493 games, is transitioning. Uh, you know, he was uh, starting in, in, uh, in Colorado, has, has started a, a little bit in the island. Uh, we'll see if that holds on based on, uh, what they do, you know, heading into to next season if they get Sorokin under contract. But uh, I'll go with uh, Varlamov between the pipes. And I validate that pick as the second best goalie in this class. Maybe even a dead heat with James Reimer, AJ. But uh, I think you're right to pick him as the as no worse than the second guy in this class. So good on you for that selection. Uh, I'm going to go back to the blue line and. Uh, pick the last guy that is over 100 points total in this class and that's Jamie McBain with my ninth pick uh, to round out the defensive picks that I make in this class well I will go with the ultimate uh, grit guy in in this this group there's nobody that you're going to find that's uh, a more physical uh, player uh, and that's Tom Sestito uh, kind of just a uh, uh, nostalgic pick for lack of a better term went in the third round uh, 85th overall to the columbus blue jackets uh spent the tail end of his career with the pittsburgh penguins racked up a ton of uh penalty minutes uh and was called up a handful of times uh i think specifically for games against washington uh you know and and tom wilson uh towards the end there uh, spent uh, his last season with the Toronto Marlies, uh, didn't play a ton of action, um, but nobody was grittier in, in the league and in this class than a guy like Tom Sestito. So, you know, I don't know who he's going to have to protect because everybody's going to be going after Marchant, but Sestito will no doubt be in there 
ready to mix it up. Well, we've got a, both got a bit of feistiness in our roster, and I'm going to finish off on that note with a guy I think who could be a real good counter to to him and maybe frustrate him to no end, and that's Cal Clutterbuck, who is regularly, regularly among the leaders in the league in hits delivered and, and a guy who can really change momentum uh, with, the, with the turn of a skate blade, it seems, sometimes. 236 points as well. Not a bad total for a guy who has been a third and fourth liner for much of his career and uh, another guy that makes will make my dressing room a fun place to be uh, very team oriented uh, locker room that I've put together I think with some of the personalities that I bring in there so that rounds up our two, rounds out our 2006 draft AJ uh, I again commend you on the work that you've done in your series of, of articles and uh, wonder if you have any closing thoughts as we wind up another episode of podcast well, you know, if we're going to do 2005 next year, technically, uh, Paul, I think you're up for the first pick. So we might have to have some negotiations around that one. Um, you know, obviously, I can't let you have the first pick in the 2005 draft because we all know who went uh, number one there. So we'll have to talk about that one. But other than that, uh, it's, you know, another another week done uh, and another uh, great, great episode. And again, hopefully our listeners are enjoying this kind of deep dive into these articles uh, I, I would welcome you to go read them uh, on the site but we'll obviously talk about them on here as well you mean i can't announce my pick of Sidney crosby right away <laughs> we'll have to talk then. We'll have to... I, I you know what i don't want to take any of your children away from you so <laughs> let's let's waive that part of the, the negotiation right off the top we'll have to come up with something pretty special though in any case that wraps up this episode of podcast with Statsman and aj folks our next episode tentatively scheduled to take place a week from today as we wind up the month of june the calendar is just flying along here please remember to send your comments or questions on twitter follow me paul bruno at statsman 22 you can follow aj at aj shoals 24 as always we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research so long everybody (laughs) 